so my mother is a school teacher and um, when I was growing up we had just bookshelves and bookshelves full of books she is just one of those people that is constantly reading and constantly getting a new book and never throwing the old books away and so um, we have bookshelves that would be um, two or three rows deep full of books and I can remember being um, a, a teenager and starting to um, starting to get uh, interest in reading um, you know um, growing up books and uh, in searching through uh, my mom and dad's bookshelves looking for something to read. Um, some maybe sci-fi novel I hadn't got my uh, hands on yet or some kind of thriller or something like that. And I remember one, one uh, afternoon, uh, just like it was yesterday, I was looking through these books and, uh, and in the back row, there was this bright orange book that caught my eye. And I pulled out this bright orange book, and I believe it was one of my mother's old textbooks that she never threw away. And, um, and the title was Anglo-Saxon Poetry, um, uh, 700 to 900. And I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be blockbuster reading right here. And, uh, and so I, I pulled it out and started thumbing through it, and it was all of these old um, riddles from, uh, from, you know, a thousand years ago. And uh, I just remember one at, my t at the time that sort of caught my eye, and I wanted to read it to you. It's, it's, it's this short little riddle, and it's about a, uh, it's called the book moth. And it's about a moth that uh, is alone in this library and is just uh, eating through all of these pages of books all through the night. It's called The Book Moth. A moth ate words. To I who wondered, it seemed a remarkable fate when I learned of it, that the thing had devoured the speech of a certain man, a thief in the dark of night, chewing through proverbs replacing them with himself. That unwanted guest was no whit the wiser for the words he ate. Just remember that last line. The moth was no whit the wiser for the words it ate. You see, this little uh, book moth, this, this little moth trapped in a library, was, uh, was reading through all the ancient wisdom of man, all of these proverbs. It, it was eating and digesting all of these words throughout the night. And come the morning light, it was no wiser for the words it ate. This, um, this, this little poem was written a thousand years ago, and I think it speaks to our age today. See, we're told we are living through the information revolution. This is the age of information. We have more information at our disposal now than at any time in history. You can just, you can just pick up your phone right now and, and find out just about anything you want to know. 
right? You can know the scores from yesterday. You can know the weather tomorrow. You can know the headlines of what's going on right now. My phone buzzes every time the president has a mood swing, right? He gets on the Twitter and my phone buzzes, right? Uh, we just have more, more access to more information than we have ever before, a variable buffet of ones and zeros. And I wonder if we're any wiser for the words we consume. We consume words on our computers and on our phones all day long, every day. Are we any wiser? The Library of Alexandria was, was the greatest library in the ancient world. It had over 400,000 scrolls um, from, from, uh, from ancient Greece, from Egypt, from the Babylonians. There are Hebrew scrolls in there. And it, at the time, in the ancient world, it was, it was the, the largest uh, 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 depository of information available. 400,000 scrolls. Experts say if, if all of the information that was in the Library of Alexandria were digitized, it would be 200 gigabytes. A mid-level iPhone can hold more than 200 gigabytes. We have access to more information than we've ever had before. Experts say that right now on servers around the world, all the information that is stored that makes up this thing called the internet is, is, is in the thousands of exabytes. An exabyte is a billion gigabytes. And if that makes no sense to you, uh, here's how I'd put it. All of that information, uh, if it were turned into book form, would cover the entire planet 57 books deep. That is how much information you have access to through this thing called the internet. A variable buffet of ones and zeros. We can eat word after word after word. And are we any wiser? Or are we just like that book moth fluttering around this, this, this world of, that, that is a library of information and not really internalizing any of it, not really growing any wiser. So the question I want us to think about is what is wisdom? If, 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 this, uh, if, if this accumulation of information doesn't make us any wiser, if the experts are right, in fact, it makes us a little less wiser. It shortens our attention spans just a little bit. It rewires our brains in a way we don't quite understand yet. I was reading an article earlier in the week that, um, that uh, these people that work in Silicon Valley, at all these major tech companies that are deciding how uh, we live our lives, that, uh, that, that parents in Silicon Valley won't allow their kids to have any screen time. Because they're like, this stuff is dangerous. We don't even understand what it's doing to our brains. Just look at the events of the past couple of weeks. How people get on, on dark corners of the internet and just feed into this, this little, little tight circle of, of, of poisonous hate speech. And then go and take it. 
and, and build a worldview and, and do terrible things with it. We've got all this information and yet we don't seem to be getting any wiser. In fact, we seem to be getting a little more foolish. And so what is wisdom if not the piling up of information? The next two weeks, we're going to talk about wisdom in the age of information, what it means to be wise. And we're going to look at, um, at David's son, Solomon, because King Solomon had the reputation for being the wisest man who ever lived. This morning, we're going to talk about wisdom in our relationship with God, and next week, we'll talk about wisdom in our relationship with each other. So I want us to start this morning by looking at 1 Kings, the, ter- the third chapter, verses 3 through 15. And this is the famous story of how Solomon prays for wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. Hear now the word of our Lord. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, at confirmation last week, um, I had everyone uh, work on a spiritual timeline. The sort of what are the um, important moments, important milestones 
in your spiritual life, your spiritual walk with God. And I got some of the ones I, I was expecting, resurrection, things like that, going to camp. Um, but uh, about three or four of them had one that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, uh, they said one of their, their spiritual highlights was their first time climbing the mountain. And at first I didn't know what that was about, so, so we dug in a little bit. But they talked about how um, come, uh, come Easter sunrise service, uh, when um, all of us who are able to make the trek, uh, which I got spared last year through weather events, all of us who are able uh, to make the trek, we gather together and we climb the mountain. And, and the, the kids said that, that the first time that they get to do that, um, it feels like a rite of passage. They're finally old enough to climb the mountain. And they described starting in the dark with those flashlights and, and then getting to the top and seeing the sun rise and, uh, and just how that spiritually connected them with God. Isn't it amazing? We gotta, we gotta get away, gotta climb a mountain to feel close with God. Our teenagers understand that experience. And 3,000 years ago, it was still the case. King Solomon wants to get away from everything and experience God, and so he climbs a mountain. King Solomon, by the way, has the tabernacle in his own backyard. He is able anytime he wants to go visit the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the Holy of Holies and make his request to God. But on this quest for wisdom, he realizes he's got to get away from the busyness of everyday life. He's got to get away from the city of Jerusalem and he's got to go climb a mountain. And so he goes to this place called Gibeon, and he goes to one of the high places. They were, the high places were these, uh, were, were these mountains where they had altars at the top of them. And uh, people would go in there and they would offer sacrifices. Because in ancient times, people just felt closer to heaven when they were up on a mountain. Not much different than today, really, Right? Solomon understood that if he was going to seek wisdom, he had to just unplug from it all. Just had to get away from the busyness of his life and go to the high place. I think there's an important lesson in there for us. If we're going to be truly wise, then we have to realize that wisdom doesn't come from all this stuff down here comes from up there. It comes from connecting with God, who is the source of all wisdom, who is the only one who can truly make us wise. We have to go to the high place to find wisdom. We've got to get away from it all. Now, some of us can think of maybe a annual sort of high places that you go to that, that help you uh, help you re- connect with God. Uh, for, uh, for many of uh, our, our children, it, it's camp. For many of the teenagers, it's resurrection. Me, as an adult, it, it's actually camp. 
I like to go back to Camp Dickinson and, and spend the week and, uh, and just uh, sort of reconnect with God and get ready for the year. Maybe you can think of an annual fishing trip or, or, or something that you do that, that sort of helps you get set for the year. And if you don't have one of those things, maybe that's something you need to add to your life is an annual retreat to the high place to connect with God. But that's not enough. That's not enough. We have to be going to a high place regularly and connecting with God. All of us understand that we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to read our Bible, but finding the time and the space to do that can be difficult for us in this crowded and busy life that we lead. And so it's important to have a high place, a place that we can just go and and just disconnect from everything and reconnect with God, because that is where we find the wisdom to know the good from the bad in our lives and to live wise lives in those high places. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's a morning walk or a, a, a special spot in your house that you've turned into a, to a prayer closet. Maybe it's, a, it's somewhere you've got to drive to just to, to just sit in the parking lot and have your, your, uh, you and God time. Whatever it is for you, you need to find that high place where you can connect with God and disconnect with everything else. Now, what Solomon does when he gets to his high place is uh, he participates in what's called an incubation ritual. See, in the ancient world, uh, people strongly believed that God spoke to them through dreams, and, uh, and, you know, if you had a particularly vivid or dramatic dream, um, you would pray to God to sort of reveal the interpretation for you. What, what is he trying to tell you? The Bible is full of stories of people who have these sort of dramatic dreams. And so a lot of time when people are going through a time in their life where they were looking for answers for, from God, what they would do is try and set up having one of these dreams, If they've not heard from God in a while, they'd say, I need one of these holy sort of dreams so I'll know what to do next. And so they would do these, what they call incubation rituals. You would go to a sacred space and you would participate in an elaborate ritual full of all kinds of imagery. And then you would go to sleep, hoping that that imagery would just sort of uh, um, bleed into your sleep and uh, and that it would affect your dream state. And so Bible scholars say this is probably what Solomon was doing up on that mountain. It says he, uh, he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Imagine what that was like. You know, one animal after the other. The smoke, the heat of the fire, uh, the, the sound of the animals bleeding, the, 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 uh, the, the chanting of the priests. Imagine all of that imagery that, uh, that, that, that Solomon would be taking with him as he slept out beneath the stars in this ancient holy mountain. He was seeking after a holy dream, and he got one. God met him right there on the mountain and told him what he needed to hear. 
Now, raise your hand if you've ever participated in an ancient Israelite incubation ritual. No, right? <laughs> right. Neither have I. <laughs> College wasn't that crazy for me. Um, but, but we do have things that we do that draw us close to God. Rituals that we participate in that help us connect with God. The reason we don't have to go chasing after dreams, by the way, is because if we want God to speak a word to us, we've got this little book we can open where God's word speaks to us. People in Solomon, they didn't really have that. Even if they were literate, even if they did have access to those scrolls, the Bible wasn't written yet because they were living it. (laughs) right? (laughs) Most of it hadn't even happened yet in Solomon's day. But we have this honor and this treasure to be able to pull open the Bible and encounter God's word there. And we need to do that. When we get to those high places, we need to encounter God in his word. And we need to pray. I know I sound like a broken record, pray and read your Bible, pray and read your Bible, pray and read your Bible, but I'm hoping it sticks up there somewhere because it's important. And I know of no other way to grow in wisdom. I know of no other way to grow spiritually than to spend time in his word and spend time in his presence. If you got something else, throw it at me. But those are the two things I know is to pray and to read your Bible. It's that simple. I mean, I could give you a a hundred points on why you should do that, but we got to do communion and, you know, beat the Baptist to lunch, so we got to move on. But (laughs) pray and read your Bible. It's important. Don't just come here and listen to me say pray and read your Bible. Pray and read your Bible. Find time. Go to those high places. Disconnect from everything else and connect with God. And I promise you will grow in wisdom. You will grow in wisdom. So King Solomon, because he had this reputation for being the most wise man that ever lived, um, lots of stories were made up about him, little Jewish folk tales that people told about King Solomon. These weren't in the Bible, but, but they're great stories. And, and one of my favorite, um, my favorite ones are always the ones where like people come to King Solomon and they present him a riddle that he has to solve. And because he's so wise, he's always able to solve the riddle. And one of my favorite ones is about the Queen of Sheba. And uh, she decides to pose this uh, riddle to Solomon and see if he can figure it out. And so uh, she calls all of her servants into the room. There are nine servants and they're each holding a bouquet of flowers. And she says to King Solomon, eight of these bouquets of flowers are fake. One of them is real. Can you discern which is the real bouquet of flowers? Now, mind you, the Queen of Sheba has unlimited resources. These, these fake bouquets were, were made by the finest uh, the silk merchants and, and the, the best craftsmen and, and were made to look exactly like the real thing. 
And so the first thing Solomon says is, is bring them closer so I can look at them. And the, the queen of Sheba's like, ah, you want to smell them. Oh, oh, you stay back there, right? And so uh, King Solomon strokes his beard for just a second. And then he says, well, at least draw open the uh, curtain so, uh, so I can get some light in here. And so, uh, and so they agree and they draw open the curtain. And no sooner do they draw open the curtain and the light begins to flood the room than a little bee comes through the window. And wouldn't you know, that bee knew exactly which of those flowers was a real flower and landing on it. That's a cool story. Great to tell. Um, but what am I driving at? See, we live in this thing called the information revolution. We've got all of this information coming at us all the time. We're constantly engaged in this thing called discernment, and we're trying to, trying to figure out what's real and what's fake, what, what's good and what's bad, what's wise and what's foolish, and what does that look like? Well, Sometimes, you got to let a little light in. Sometimes, you got to shine a little light on the problem. And for us as Christians, that light is Christ. When we look at the world through the light of Christ, through the light of his love, through the light of, of, of his, his being and what he calls us to do. And we look at, at everything in this world through Jesus' eyes, then we become wise. Then we're able to discern the good from the bad, the wise from the foolish, looking at things through the light of Christ. Because Jesus is the light of the world. He is our wisdom. The Gospel of John puts it this way in the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We look at things through that light in this world, through the light of Christ, then we can begin to be made wise. Go to your high place, pray and read your Bible. Those are the only two things you know. I know. I left out the third. There's a meal here for us. Because you see, the Word of God, when it became made flesh, when it dwelt among us, it offered itself for us. Jesus walked among us, that Word made flesh, and He offered Himself to us. 
so that we can be made wise when we draw near to his table and we draw near to one another and, and, and we receive Christ in a special way at this table. We receive into ourselves the very word of God. And unlike that book moth, we are made wiser by the word we eat. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.